0: Okay, <clears throat> we are filling in the blanks. As I told you we would last week, I thanked Levi for uh, filling in while well, I was out of town. I almost made it, <laughs> but I didn't quite make it, and I heard for the first time somebody online, because the ladies in the front said, here's the phone, listen yourself, and so I did. So I was laying in the back seat listening last week, and he did a good job. He did a good job. Yeah. Luke, in our, in our text, as we've been studying in Sunday morning, and we use Sunday morning to gather information about the main events that would lead up to the crucifixion of Christ. But we like to take Tuesday night to fill in the blanks because as we're moving through the text, we skip a little here and skip a little there. And uh, it really helps our understanding We know what's going on if we fill in these blanks. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 21, but uh, 19 and 22, because Luke is such a good author. He uh, has laid this tremendous, he's been tremendously careful to lay out information for us so that when we come to something, we're already informed. Now, a lot of times we miss what he did. So we're trying to catch those things that Luke did when he wrote and uh, see how he tied things up so nicely. He's very, very clever author for sure. Um, now what we're going to deal with first here is the temple. And uh, the temple in Jerusalem, there's a certain atmosphere there I guess you'd call it. Uh, There's an atmosphere in the temple in Jerusalem and I want to talk about that because it bears a great deal on what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, And you can remember a few things about the temple. Uh, It's a very very large place. It's 27 acres. That's pretty big you look at all our property here, we own where the church sits and the house there and the village is ours and that parking lot. And then we added three more acres with the parking lot and the barn down there. So we've got a little over five. uh, You realize this is five times bigger, the temple, than our whole property. So if you were going to see how big it is, You slowly stretch it down the road, stretch it, probably almost go to the end of the road to get 25 acres, uh, 27 acres in the temple. It's a very large place. It is walled in completely, and it's on a mountainside. It's on Mount Zion. The temple was built on Mount Zion, and uh, uh, so it's terraced on a terraced hillside so what they did and you can imagine doing it with nothing but a hammer and a chisel uh, they chiseled in to the mountain and flattened it out then they go up and chisel in and they chisel in a set of stairs they go up and they kept this work tremendous amount of work that they did and then they built entire walls around the whole thing all right so there's walls, With gates here and there, There several different gates into this uh, enclosure. 27 acres, a great big enclosure. Uh, Up on the very top, there's the Holy of Holies. That would be a closed-in building. And uh, there's the holy place. Uh, The altar of sacrifice would be outside there. And uh, there are buildings in this temple running up the sides here. There are buildings along the way that they have there. It's quite a complex. And so, but the majority of it is all open space. And you go in, there's no roof over your head, and you go in and uh, you start climbing stairs. So you come in, you're climbing upstairs, climbing upstairs, climbing upstairs to get to the top all carved by hand into stone. So it's a pretty impressive place. Um, But what I want to talk about is the atmosphere in the place. Uh, And there's two groups of people that are concerned. There's the leaders, people who run the show. That would include scribes, those we would call lawyers today, uh, Pharisees, they're a political party, actually. Pharisees are a political party. Um, there are uh, chief priests. That's the main ba- uh, leadership. And all of those are represented by a group called the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin has 70 members, and we would call it like our Supreme Court and our Congress all in one. And so they would act as a court, they would act as lawgivers, and they're the leadership there in the temple, and uh, they are uh, very much in charge there. Uh, And you have to put in there rabbis as a part of that. Now, you could be a scribe, a rabbi, and a Pharisee all in one, and actually on the Sanhedrin. So you could have all those offices... You could be a chief priest uh, and a scribe and a rabbi. And so these uh, don't represent hundreds of people, but quite a few people. All right. So there's probably at least a couple hundred. And they are in charge of the uh, temple. They run the place. Now, on the other hand, there's what we would call common people, everyday people who use the temple. And these can be either rich or poor. They're not uh, considered if you're, if you're uh, a common person, you're poor. You could be rich and still be considered a common person. People like uh, uh, tax collectors. Matthew's a tax collector. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. These people are wealthy. But they are still considered common people, all right? And so we have two groups in the temple. We have the common people, everyday people, who come in, use the facility, and they will come in, and there's a place where they may pray. There's a place where they'll learn. Uh, There's rabbis there, and the rabbis would pick a spot somewhere in this area, this big, wide-open place, and just start teaching and people gather around the rabbis to learn, and then you're gonna go up ahead, and there's an altar for sacrifice. Uh, There's a general open court that's called a court of the Gentiles, and that's anybody can go there. There's also a court of women, a place where women can go, and then it's kind of an imaginary line. It wasn't imaginary though. Uh, Where you can't if you're a woman or if you're a gentile you can't go any further. You have to stay back and so these are two groups of people in the the, uh, temple and these people Really look down on the common people they consider them to be uneducated. they they'd rather call them a dog than a human. They're like dogs, you know. We, we, we have no respect for them at all. And so uh, those people certainly be, are full of uh, the social standing. Uh, arrogance, there's an arrogance about them, they're very arrogant, they have a social standing. And these people, on the other hand, they uh, feel very much like they are inferior. They're meant to, f- to, these people want them to feel inferior. They don't want them to be, uh, feel like they're apart. part, they want them to feel inferior. No. so what kind of an atmosphere you got? Well, you c- come in there, and the people around the place don't like you. They don't want you around. They'd prefer if you were gone. And they don't care anything about you. They don't want you to do well. They just want you to get in, do your business, and get out. All right? And so uh, there's no love lost between these two. Now, we're going to make it a little worse. You come down to this part down here, in the bottom of the hill down here, and they have a marketplace have a marketplace here and that's where they sell uh, lambs they're going to sacrifice lambs you can buy one there a lot of birds because they sacrifice a lot of pigeons and doves and you could go and buy a pigeon or a dove there and uh, if you have to pay temple tax you have to pay in a shekel. Nobody else has shekels. Everybody else is using Roman money or Greek money or whatever. Uh, Nobody has a shekel. So, they say you're going to pay your temple tax, Uh, you'll have to go get a shekel. And they will shortchange you when you get your shekel. Uh, They will guarantee you, shortchange you when they change your money, and they will overcharge you when you buy your dove or whatever. And so, now, we add two the inferior feeling, uh, they've been cheated. Just outright cheated. All right? So what's it like to go to the temple? Well, who wants to go? <laughs> People treat you like dirt. They'll cheat you. As soon as you go there, they'll take your money from you. Uh, it's a very inferior feeling, and they feel cheated. And as a result of it, what are they going to do? Well, they got to go to the temple part of their uh, culture to do that. And so they go in there and they put up with what happens to them. There's nothing they can do about it. They're stuck with it. They're put up with what's happened to them. And uh, they're trying to get through it and they've got used to it. And so there's a lot of stress. and That's the best word for the temple. It's full of stress. You go in there. It's not like you come to church and we love everybody and we worship God and we sing and we pray and we enjoy each other's company and then we go home. That's not what happens there. It's all stress. You get in there and this guy doesn't like you, and he's a big shot, and he looks down his nose to steal money out of your pocket. And so it's a very stressful place. Now we're gonna crank up this stress way up. Ready? It is now Passover. Passover, the biggest national holiday in the Jewish year, and they celebrate for a week in Jerusalem. And they come from all over the known world Italy to Jerusalem, North Africa to Jerusalem, out who knows where, everywhere people want to go celebrate. Passover, and they go to Jerusalem. So, you take the population, and you go times thousands. It increases by not, you know, a couple hundred. It increases by several thousand. And so, now, in a city that's already full and busy, uh, you just amp it up. Now, this place during Passover week is shoulder to shoulder. There's 27 acres jam-packed with people from all over the place and it's uh, <laughs> and it's stressful for everybody it's stressful because you can't go in and kind of sit somewhere and relax uh, because it's just full, full of people and so we've amped up the stress a little more let's amp it up some more, shall we? okay, here we go, it's Passover and that means there are two Sabbaths in Passover he said, well, "I thought Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath. Sure it is. Saturday has always been the Jewish Sabbath. But and Passover, he said, we're going to need another one. So we'll make Friday Passover day Sabbath day too. So now we got two Sabbath days in the temple. What does that mean? Don't you dare pick up that little jar and carry it. And those Pharisees, put well, that down. What are you doing?" Don't you dare come walking in with a ribbon that's not sewed on your coat. Or, you're out. You're breaking Sabbath. And so now, (laughs) we really amped up the stress, right? The place is jam-packed with people. And it's it's a double Sabbath day during the week of Passover. And so you've got to follow these rules. And I think there was over 700 rules that they had about the Sabbath. That's a lot of rules to remember, right? How are you gonna remember them all? Well, you probably won't. And somebody will remind you there, some rabbi, some scribe will say, hey, you shouldn't be wearing that on this Sabbath day. So, we've amped up the stress tremendously by huge crowds of people jamming the place back, and then put double Sabbaths in, one after the other in a row, and everything is real good, right? Now, in the middle of all that, we put one more thing, Jesus. (laughs) One more thing. We put Jesus in the middle of that mess. Now, we'll have some real stress. (laughs) Now, Jesus understands what's going to happen. He comes in, and what's clear, or something's clear, that Luke makes here. Let's look at one here. First one is in uh, Luke 19, Luke 19. Verse 47, last two verses. He taught daily in the temple. But the chief priests and scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him." So, they want to kill him. They, they're in the, actually in the back rooms up here, up on the side. They're making plans. We've got to get rid of Jesus of Nazareth. And they come to the conclusion, how can we do it with all these common people here, especially on Passover, where we get places jammed with them? And how are we going to get rid of him? Because as soon as he walks in, he got a crowd. Now, what Jesus does is he comes early. All right? And I'm sure the rabbis didn't. All right, They had their places. The rabbis had places here and there where they set up to teach. Jesus would walk in before they all got there, and he'd start, and by the time these rabbis and leaders come out, he's already got a huge crowd gathered around him, and they're listening to him. Of course, he's the best speaker there ever was. There was a better speaker than Jesus, and they're just glued to him. And so they come out, and there's all these common dogs and they're all listening to Jesus now there's a lot of stress so they challenge him several ways you remember they came out and said well let's make some more stress Shall we?" here we go Jesus on Sunday rides over the Mount of Olives with a huge crowd and they're cheering him and what do they say make those people stop it's inappropriate that they're praising you that's how the week starts That's Sunday. Monday, he comes into the temple, and he walks to the marketplace. He said, you are out of here. And he turns over the money changers' tables. He drives out the animals out through the gates that are there, gets rid of the animals, gets rid of the... People with the dove cages, drives them all out, empties out the place, and what does he say? You made my father's house a den of thieves. Not today, you're out. <laughs> How's the stress now? You can't imagine what the stress in the temple is like now is extremely intense. Why? Will they come down and say, hey, look, what gives you the right? clear out our marketplace. And the marketplace was owned by the chief, or actually the high priest, the highest guy. His name was Caiaphas. He had a family. Seven of his brothers were also high priests at some time, and his father-in-law was also the high priest. So they kind of had a monopoly, okay? They wanted the monopoly because they were rolling in the dough from the marketplace. They're just rolling in the dough. And so he comes in, throws them on, they have no use. You've got no right. What gives you the right? And so he says, Well, I just got a question for you. John the Baptist, was he from heaven or men? And this shows the stress in the temple. And they have a little conversation with themselves, and they say, Well, if we stay from heaven, he'll want to know why we didn't believe him. So I can't say that. If we say, he's just another man, he wasn't sent from God. They actually say, the people will stone us. Now you know how much tension is in it. You say something about John the Baptist, I'll kill you. That's the attitude that's in this temple. They want to kill Jesus, and the people love Jesus, and they're going to defend him. And so Jesus said, you can't give me the answer. I'm not telling you where I get my authority, although we know he already told them. This is my father's house. And so they come on, try again. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Give me a coin. What's that? Who's that? That's Caesar. Give Caesar what's his, give God to his. I think I talked about it last week. Yeah, very much. So they lost that one. Then they come and they say, All right, we got another question for you. I'm going to try to trip him up. Here's a question. So a guy marries a wife and he dies and his next brother marries her, and he dies, and the third brother marries her, and he dies, and seven brothers all marry her, and they all die, so when they get to heaven, whose wife is she? And he looks at him and he goes, I'm sorry, but you don't understand your Bible. You've been reading it wrong. Why don't you read, and you'll figure it out. (laughs) So he wipes them out every time. Finally, they're scared to challenge him because he's so much smarter. And of course, he's God, so it's not a problem for him. So they've challenged him, and now the, the, it's intense now. Every time he walks in, and they want, they're just seething. Ah, oh, here he is again. He's got a huge crowd again. The people love him, and if we cross that, the people will kill us. And so there's, there's stress for everybody. How would you like to go to church like that? Man, that's not what God intended. No, that's not at all what God intended. not what He intended. All right? And so, in this mess <laughs> that is the temple, we come to chapter 20, and we have another statement that Jesus makes. And this is going to set him off one more time. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's not afraid to set him off, he's certainly not afraid. And here we go, chapter 20, and look where he does this. Verse 45, then in the audience of all the people he said to his disciples, and so he's got his 12 who are right there with him, but he's going to talk so everybody can hear. So there's a huge crowd gathered around him, he says, hey, Let me tell you something here. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes, love greetings in the markets, highest seats in the synagogue, chief rooms at the feast. They want to be big shots, everyone, which devour widows' houses. Fascinating. And for a show, make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. He says, watch out for these people. They want to walk around, be a big shot. They make a big, long prayer, hoping you'll be impressed. I want you to be impressed. And he says, and by the way, uh, they also devour widows' houses. It's a pretty serious charge. What happens? Well, there's a man and a wife, and they're working, living in their house, and they've paid for their house, done everything they can, and the man dies, and there's a widow left. And so the Pharisee, you know, go up or the scribe and say, all right, you've got no means to support, so I'm going to buy your house. And if it's worth $2,000, I may give you two hundred. But that's it. You're going to get 200 bucks. You sell your house to me, and I'll give you 200 bucks. They devour the houses of widows. All right? He says, that's what these people do. Now we're set up, we're ready to get to the point. The atmosphere in the temple is tense, and it's stressful. And Jesus is in there just cranking it up, cranking it up, and cranking it up. And it rises higher and higher and higher and higher. And uh, then something happens in verse, chapter 21. And he, that's Jesus, looked up and saw the rich man casting their gifts into the treasury. So, over on the one side here, there's these staircases. And there's 12 steps up, up these staircases. And so that's maybe a little less than what we have there. I think we got 17 or something. But there's like 12 steps. and So you're going to rise up to the top. And so Jesus goes up to the top. He's up on the top of that particular staircase. And he's looking down to the level below. And in the level below, there's 12 steps that he's up. And there are 13 steps. Boxes, we'll call them. Uh, could call them baskets. Uh, and they're said to be trumpet-shaped, or that is, they were comb shaped And so they're sitting on the floor, and there's 13 of them in this section up here where the women can come. All right, the Women are allowed to be here. If they go up the steps, they are gone out of where they can go. But they can go here, and these boxes are right here, and there's 13 in a row. And there's 13 boxes. And Jesus is up, up on the stairs, top of the stairs, and he's looking down, and it says he's watching as people come and cast their money into the boxes. And if you were there, what you would have seen, what he was watching, is there occasionally there comes a guy, and he's got a lot of money. So he's got a bag full of coin. And we're going to throw that money in. And so he shakes it. And you hear it jingling and jingling, dropping down into the box. And, And pretty soon people are going, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. And everybody is applauding when somebody drops a great big pile of money in there. And they got a lot of money they can throw in, and they fill up these baskets with their money. So he's watching that happen at the top of the stairs, looking down on it, verse 2. And he saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And so here comes a lady. Um, uh, She is called a poor widow. Uh, She's among the common people are poor, but probably the poorest because the word used is almost the word for beggar. There, so she's uh, barely existing. She is a widow. Now, what did they do to widows? Stole their houses if they could. All right? And so, uh, she's a widow and she comes in, she's got two mites now. What are mites? Well, uh, uh, a mite is one-tenth of a penny. All right, so it takes 10 mites equal one penny. You say, well, it's not a lot. No. no, you say, penny's the smallest thing we have. Well, they had 10 times smaller. They had a mite. and so. She throws in two mites. Legally, you couldn't throw in less. That's the bottom of your offering. So she's in her two mites in the box. Uh, To help understand it better, um, uh, two mites can also be a day's pay. If you are laboring somewhere and uh, doing whatever, whether you're working in somebody's garden or whether you're feeding somebody's animals or whether you're doing somebody's laundry, whatever you're doing as a common poor laborer, the pay for the day is two mites. That's what you would earn in a day's work It's two mites. Now, with the two mites, there's more than just that even, uh, Two mites will buy you bread for one day. So if you want to buy your food for the day, you work all day, you get your two mites, and you go to the market, and you can buy probably, and when they say loaves, a lot of times they mean a little roll. That's a loaf. But you would eat at one meal. So you could buy three of these little loaves for two mites. And so, uh, two mites is a day's pay for a common, ordinary labor. Two mites uh, isn't even a penny, all right? And two mites buy you bread for one day. And so, he says, uh, a certain widow came in, and she put in two mites into the basket, into one of the 13 boxes. And... uh, Jesus, who was standing up on top watching, these guys are pouring in baskets full of coins and bags full of gold coins and everything. And uh, he, he's watching, keeping his And then here comes somebody. Nobody notices. He comes in, quietly walks up, reaches over, sticks in, and walks away. Did you see that? Did you see that one? See that one there? See that widow there? She put in two mites. Verse 3, And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. She put in more than everybody. What do you mean? She put in the lowest legal limit. She put in enough to buy bread for a day. And what she made in a day, that's what she's for all these of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she in her penury has cast in all the living that she had. So Jesus is just all excited in this stressful, in this tension filled atmosphere where every, nobody trusts anybody. They're trying to kill Jesus. The common people are clinging to Jesus because they love him, and there's a tremendous amount of stress. It's jam-packed with people all the way through. Jesus has set himself on the top of the stairs, and he's seen something, and he's all like, excited. Look, 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 look. See her? See that one there? She did better than they all did. Now, everybody's kind of scratching their heads. Well, wait a minute. First, I wanted you to note this Jesus saw it. Nobody else did. Nobody else saw it. Jesus saw it. That's a very encouraging thing to me. Should be to all of us. All right? So, somebody, I've seen people come and every day, Sunday they bring in a plate of a few cookies or a loaf of banana bread or something, put it on the trough and sit down, and nobody knows who did it. Jesus saw it. He saw it. I see people who are out there sweeping the floor afterwards. All right? Why? Because everybody needs a sweep floor when they're done, and somebody grabs the broom and sweeps the floor, and they say, who knows? Jesus saw it. He saw it, and he sees these little things, all right? Somebody's out there pulling weeds. You think, well, nobody's here and sees me. Oh, yes, he sees. I don't know how small it is because he has got eyes to see those kind of things. That's why I think to myself, I think a lot about this passage quite often, and I think, you know, when I walk by and there's a bulletin there, I pick it up. There's a half a bottle of water here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> I pick it up. Why? Because Jesus sees. He sees. You say, well, nobody sees you. Yeah, Jesus sees. And so the small things that we do, we think, well, nobody notices. Yeah, don't, there's only one that needs to see. And he sees. He sees. And so this is a wonderful thing as he's watching these big shots Pour their money in, and then comes somebody that nobody pays attention to, nobody notices, nobody even, why is she here? Throws in two pennies, two mites, and he says, There, there, look, there. It's perfect. So she is completely unnoticed by everybody except Jesus. He sees it. That's a very encouraging thing to me. He saw her come. Now, what I want to think about and I think Jesus actually did the same thing. Jesus will assess or he'll think about what he saw and come to a conclusion about the widow. And there's enough information for us to do the same thing. We can look at it and we can go through a list of things that are happening that very day, and we can make a list, and we can come to a conclusion about the widow too. All right? Now, one of the things that we can't see that he could, uh, but something made him really happy because when she threw the money in, of course, she didn't say, Hey, everybody, watch this. not do that. She quietly goes up and she. So you think she's going like this, right? There's it. No, no. You going so sit down and she's smiling. The she's happiest can be. Why? I wanna know why she put the two mites in. What's the reason? Can we go back and think a little bit? And uh, first thing we can see, she did not want any applause. She could not care less whether anybody saw it. She's not there for applause like everybody else is. She is not there, so she doesn't care. She walks away happy, puts the money in, and what does it say? God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And Jesus can see it. He can see it. She's happy. She has made a choice ahead of time. This is not an impulse. Somewhere earlier in the week, or who knows how much farther back, she made a choice. She made a decision. It's not an impulse. She said, well, everybody else throw money in there. I'll take some. No, 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 no. It's entirely thought out, reasoned out choice. I'm going to the temple, I'm putting two mites in the basket. So, it's very intentional, there's nothing impulsive about it. Now, stop and think now, it's Passover week. So, everybody, either on Thursday night, understand a Jewish day, Our days begin in the morning and end at night. Theirs didn't. Theirs began at night and ended the next night. That's how they viewed time. We always say, well, it's morning, it's a new day. They said, it's night, and it's a new day. So they started like a Sabbath day starts Friday night and goes to Saturday night, and then it's the next day. So they view the world time a little different. And so on Thursday, during the day, you could decide I'm going to have my Passover dinner on Thursday night. That's what Jesus did, right? He had his on Thursday night. So he'd make a plan. During the day, you'd go get the lamb, cook it over the open fire, make the bread, get ready for the dinner, so that when it sun sets, it's now that first Sabbath of the week, Second one's the next day, and we can eat Passover on this day. So Jesus did his Thursday during the day. All right. They could also do it Friday during the day. So everybody says, I'm gonna go down to the temple, and get my lamb. Okay, good. So nothing to it. Go on, I want a lamb. Okay. Who's coming to dinner? Well, I got three kids of my own and my wife, there's five of us. you don't get a lamb. Why not? You've got to have more than that. Well, i got my neighbors coming, and he's got three kids, so there's ten of us. You don't get a lamb. On Passover, you'll get a lamb when you have a full house because you're not allowed to have leftovers. They won't even sell you a lamb if you say there's five of us. You don't get a lamb. So what happens is all through Israel, and the guy says to his neighbor, well, there's five of us, five of you, and we'll get together. And then there's an old couple there. Let's invite them. Then we'll have 12, and we'll go in, and we'll have enough people to buy a lamb. And so somebody has, I have no doubt, bought a lamb and needed an extra person and said to the lady, hey, we would you like to eat, have you eat Passover with us. Why do you think that? Because everybody's getting Passover ready. And everybody needs an extra person here and there. And she's thrilled. She's happy as can be. Why do you think that is? She's been invited to dinner, I'm quite sure. She's been invited to a Passover dinner. And so she's going to get to sit down and eat lamb and vegetables and unleavened bread and have a drink of wine. I mean, more food than she's seen in a long time. And I'm sure somewhere she's a part of somebody's 12 that need to have that. So she's happy and she's been invited and she's gonna celebrate. And then she's thinking about how wonderful this is. I gotta do something. So I'm gonna take my pay today. I'm going to put the whole thing in. That means I'm not going to eat today. I don't get any food today. I'll make up for it when Passover comes and I eat with my friends. But right now I'm going to give everything I got to God. Go and put my two mites, which would buy me food for the day, in it. And I say, well, why do you want to do that? And that's all you got. I said, well, that's what I want to do. I want to sacrifice. Something about her. She's walking around singing, and there are certain songs that they sung on Passover. Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is one of these Passover songs that they sing during Passover. It's one of the, actually, it's one of the favorites of the Jews. All right, and can you imagine her walking around singing this psalm, Psalm 118, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good because his mercy endureth forever. (laughs) I'm going to be thankful to God. It's wonderful what God's done for me. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron, that's those nasty priests in the temple, I'll say that his mercy endureth forever. And I'm sure she's saying that with a smile on her face. (laughs) Those miserable old, poor old folks with all that money. She says, let them say God is wonderful. I called on the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Say, what's a large place? You got everything she needs. What's she got? Just enough to eat today, every day. Set me in a large place. Why? Because she hasn't been kicked out of her house yet. She's still in her home. Still got what her husband had prepared for her. And she said, I'm in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what men can do unto me. The Lord take my part with them that help me. That's the people who invite her to dinner. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in men. There you go. She's having (laughs) a time. Why does it work so? She lost her husband. That's her visible means of support. She is now working to supply her own need, which is just enough to eat every day. That's it. Somewhere along the line, she said, you know what? I'm at God's mercy. If I'm going to make it, because God's going to help me. So I'm going to tell him what I think. So when I go to the temple tomorrow, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to go up here where they're singing. And that rabbi, that Jesus is there. Maybe I'll listen to him. And then on my way out, I'm going to stop there and put my two mites in the box and go home smiling. I gave everything I had. (coughs) We understand about somebody like that. Her first gift wasn't those two mites. Her first gift was herself. She gave herself to God. I mean, God's care. I'm in God's hands. God's going to help me to survive in this place where I'm pretty tight. And so I'm going to sacrifice today's food for the Lord. And Jesus said, look, she just gave more than everybody put together. She just far advanced. it." So we learn something about God's opinion of giving, which is not a percentage. We've all heard the idea of tithing, that we give 10%, okay? And I am not here to argue about tithing or say anything about it, really. Jesus doesn't say, well, will you give me 10%? He never said that. Matter of fact, When I die, and when I go to the judgment day, I don't want to tell them, hey, I gave you 10%. I don't want to say that at all. I go to the judgment day, I want to say, I gave you everything I had. And that means my life. That was first. I gave you my life. I gave you my whole life. I gave you my time. I gave you more time than I had. I gave you... Whatever I could give you because I just feel like I need to sacrifice for your behalf. And God's assessment of giving is not at what percentages is it 10, is it 20, is it whatever. God says it's all or none. I'll take you all. I want all of you. I don't want half of you. Don't come to heaven and say, I gave you half. I, said, I want you to come say, like that woman there. Like that woman Gave you everything I had. I gave it to you, and uh, it's a thrilling thing. It made him so happy. And the the thing is, let's look on a, a little bit more. Uh, verse five, Luke 21, and as, as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. He said, As for these things which you behold, a day will come in which there shall not be one left stone upon another shall not be thrown down. So they are up here, and they're looking at some of the things. And these walls were built, stone walls, and somewhere on the wall there would be a shield. Uh, Caesar, I believe, donated a golden shield. That's on the wall of the temple. Comes from Caesar. Solid gold. Very impressive. Uh, Agrippa donated a chain made of solid gold. And on another spot mounted on the wall, there's this chain. And the disciples, look at these things. There's a goblet. There's a sword. But the most impressive one was from King Herod. And King Herod had a big, huge grapevine made And the vine came up the rock, mounted on the rock and came over and there was big, huge uh, bunches of grapes and the whole thing was solid gold. King Herod donated that and the disciples. (laughs) Something, Jesus, that's nothing. Didn't you see that too much? That was something. That was, this wasn't that's not, he says, it's not that golden grapevine or that gold shield from Caesar. They had plenty. What percentage was it? It wasn't very much from them. But well, she gave everything she had. And so she first started, gave herself to God and said, I'm in your hands. I'm only going to survive if you help me and I'm willing to go without food a day to make sure that you know, God, how grateful and thankful I am for what you do for me. And she came in with that smile, and she put those two little coins in there, and she went without food the next day. Nothing. Nothing. Now, question is, there's somebody else there Who doesn't have two mites? Jesus doesn't have two mites. He had nothing. He said, the Son of Man, I the mean, own a place to lay his head. He didn't have two mites to put in the box. But I think he's singing. Psalm number 40. He's singing a psalm too. Psalm number 40. There's only one person there with less than her, and that was him. He's the one that pointed out her. All right? And I think he's singing Psalms 40. I'm looking at verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. You know that these are hymns. When I read from Psalms, it's actually a hymn. It's a song. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of a book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will. O my God, Thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. What did he give? He stood in front of people who couldn't understand, couldn't grasp what anybody else was saying. said, we're mistreated in this place. We're cheated every time we come. And they looked down on us like we're dogs. And he spoke truth to them, something that they couldn't understand. And he made it as clear as crystal. And they thought, we understand it. He gave that to them. He gave that to them. If they were sick, he healed them. He gave that to them. And of course, we know two days later, he gave his life. He gave everything. Like the widow who put everything she had in there, he gave everything. He gave his life. And I'm sure he can sing, I delight to do thy will, O God. That's what I enjoy most. And so, how do we end it up? Well, I want you to see how refreshing it was to Jesus to see this widow. Because look at the place, it's horrible. It's a miserable place to go. So much stress and so much anxiety and so much hatred and so much all those things. And here's the thing about it. You can still do the right thing when everybody else does the wrong. She came in all by herself in spite of the tension, in spite of the stress, in spite of the murder plans that were going on. She walked in there happy as can be, put her two mites in and walked out singing. And Jesus said, look, 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 look! pay attention. There's the best one of the day. Pay attention. See, you might have thought she'd say, I'm not giving my two mites to those people. She didn't give them to them. She gave them to God. And she was thrilled with the opportunity to give up her food for a day. In other words, here's a lesson here. If there's a bad atmosphere, we're going to rise above it. We're going to be higher than that. We're not going to be drawn down by the fighting and arguing and all the things that go on. We're going to rise above it. That woman rose above everybody else in that temple and gave everything she had which included before she ever got there, she said, I'm in your hands. It's not for you. I can't make it. I'm in your hands. I belong to you. And she put her two mites in, went home singing. I'm sure she was pretty hungry by the time Passover dinner got there. But it must have tasted good. She didn't know that Jesus pointed her out. It's likely she never knew until she walked into heaven one day and they said, We all about you. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, we heard about you. Why you got Jesus so excited? I don't know what you're talking about. Two pennies. One tenth of a penny times two. Put in the box. And with it all her heart put in the blood. What an encouragement to Jesus. Who's about to die? And you're looking around you at these people who are planning your murder and you must think to yourself are we ever going to get through to them? Well, you got time for one more little thing? (laughs) I'm glad. Something happened. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And the day of Pentecost came and the apostles went and they preached, uh, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And he raised him from the dead. And it says in the book of Acts that many of the priests came to believe in Jesus. No. The high priests? No. Sanhedrin? A couple of them. Nicodemus, right? Joseph of Arimathea were on the, and they came to believe. Uh, but the priest, when he says the priest believed, there was a group of people who were not in this group, but they were workers. They're the people who killed your lamb, who gutted it. You slit the throat, but who gutted your lamb, cleaned it for you, approved it for you, handed it to you, and they didn't do that ten times a day. Passover, they're doing thousands of them. And they're working like dogs. And they're working, and they're working in that temple, and they're considered by these guys to be common people. Levites. Remember Zechariah? Father John the Baptist—he's one of these priests in the temple. He's not included in the higher muckety muck; just common people. And it says that those common priests who spent their lives killing lambs and gutting them and carrying the guts up to the altar, tending the fires and all that—they came by the hundreds to believe in Jesus. All right? They understood what it was to give all that they had been sacrificing for all those years. And then they saw Jesus and said, now there's the real example. That's what we've been doing all this time. We've been killing lambs and saying, look, keep waiting. And there he is. He's right there. All you do is give him everything you've got. And God, well, i got to stop. See, these things are exciting. <laughs> these These things are exciting. These little things jammed in between the major events, particularly with Luke, who writes so well and captures all these little things and puts them in there. And if you read, if you don't read carefully, you read right over. You don't see that they devour widows' houses. You miss that unless you catch it. Be careful and read slow enough to grasp it. We'll do another one next week. Thank you.